0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of C4 Church. And so on behalf of C4 family, we want to welcome all of you and you online to our new main series for the year out of the book of John. And if you've got your Bible this morning, physically or virtually, we'd love you to turn to the gospel of John chapter 1 and we'll begin together. You know, we have four biographies of Jesus's life, four that give us unique insights to the one that we love and worship or we're seeking after. Matthew came along and he wrote that Jesus is king, so worship him. Mark wrote, Jesus is the servant of all of us, so we should follow him. Luke, Dr. Luke came and said, this is the only person who's ever lived or ever will live who's without sin, so let's just be like him, but John. But John comes and says, Jesus is God with skin on. Believe in him. Do you know that John uses the word believe 98 times in his gospel? There's a reason why. I want you to hear his heart this morning, to see his passion, feel his devotion, sense the urgency he had for his church and our church, the Holy Spirit's urgency he had for his world and his day and our world and our day. Why did John write this? In the second last chapter of John, he says these words in John twenty thirty one. But these are written that you, and you, and you, and you, might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He calls us to say yes to Jesus as Messiah. Jesus is the only Son of God. And yes, and by trusting in Him, we get eternal life. And by His love and His work and by His very personhood, we get changed. But that's the end of the story. We need to start at the beginning, the very beginning. John, as the video so brilliantly articulates, doesn't start where most others do. John doesn't begin his conversation where we expect him to. See, John pushes us to a very different place. He pushes all of us here this morning and online, whether we're not seeking or we are seeking, whether we are a new Christian or maybe you're a lifer. He's asking us to really see if we believe, and he does this in this very first verse. Like Joanna said, it's Christmas time again. The season where we celebrate the coming of Jesus. But John doesn't even start at Christmas. John doesn't go to Ancestry.com like Matthew does and goes back. He, he, he doesn't even start in the Old Testament. He goes somewhere else. As I preached four Christmases, Christmases ago to our community, before the wise men and before gold and frankincense and myrrh, before the star and before Jesus was presented in the temple, before the song of Simeon and Mary and Zechariah, before the room, there was no room in the inn, before the birth of Jesus himself, before shepherds and choirs of angels, before Gabriel shows up to Mary and Joseph, before the Holy Spirit came enlightened on Mary and did that unbelievable act. Where was Jesus just before? Did he exist before his birth, before he was even conceived in the womb, or was he created? Who was Jesus before the manger? Who was Jesus before Mary? Who was Jesus before the Old Testament? Who was Jesus before, well, everything? The answer is central to everything we hold dear, and actually is the linchpin or the key to believing. Hear the word of God this morning, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These words should throw all of us back to a time when time was invented, when all life came to be. See, the very first verse in the Bible is so very similar. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before, before space, before time, before matter, before all things in what we call eternity past, before the clock had started ticking, before was God. And in that eternal place, he started the largest artistic project that would ever be. Out of nothing, God created. At that moment, at the beginning of the universe, at the root of the universe, it says that the word was with God. And as we're about to see this morning, the word is Jesus himself. Now, do you see that little... Thing there in the beginning, God created the heavens, and earth. Go go to the next one, John one one. In the beginning was the Word. Was in Greek that reads like this: He continually was. So actually, it reads like this: In the beginning, continually was existing the Word. Or as one scholar wrote, Jesus always was wasing. Okay. <laughs> in other words, Jesus has always been. Jesus is the Word. Now some of you are going, I don't get this word thing, I, I, what does this mean? Well this is an idea that existed three centuries before Jesus. It's the word logos, and for pagan philosophers three centuries before Jesus, this was a significant idea. They said that the universe was held together by a mind, a divine mind kept things together. And John comes along and co-ops that term, st- that term. he steals the term, and he says this in effect. That thing you've talked about for three centuries, this this divine mind that brings order to the universe, actually, you're right, it exists. But you're wrong about who it is. He is God, and Jesus is he. John continues by describing the Word this way, that he says he, that is Jesus, was with God. The Word and God actually were so close together, they shared space and intimacy and purpose. In fact, the intimacy and familiarity, one wrote, is so close that the Word is not just with God, the Word what? Say it loud. Was God. The Word and God, Jesus and the Father, share the same essence. Therefore, all that is true about God is true about The Word, Jesus Christ, the one announced by angels, the one that the star pointed to, the one that shepherds came and found, the one that was wrapped in swaddling clothes, the baby that had to be changed, cried when his teeth came in, the baby that would be breastfed, the one that would learn to actually walk, the one that would cry when he was hungry, the one just like my son, I guarantee you, got up and touched everything he's not supposed to, was God in flesh. Before the manger, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. John says it in verse 2, He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Watch this, everyone, this morning. This is key. Only God is eternal. And because the Word is eternal, Jesus has to be God. Jesus is co-equal. Jesus is co-eternal. Jesus is co-existent with the Father in eternity past. This is going to matter, you know, someday someone's going to knock on your door, and they're going to smile, and they're going to talk to you about Jesus. But you need to know right now that the Jesus they're telling you about is not this one. Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses are going to come and they're going to declare to you that Jesus was the Michael, Michael the Archangel before he was born, or Jesus is one of the thousands and thousands of sons and daughters of God who will fill the universe, and on and on and on they go. False teaching always comes down to what you think and say about Jesus. The Muslims declare he's a great prophet. The Buddhists declare he's so enlightened, but we say no to all of them, for Jesus is God in flesh. This is the key. And the linchpin, understand that if you do not believe that Jesus is God, then you do not know God, because he is the only one in proximity with the Father to even let you in. Jesus is the word, a profound thing. But John moves us quickly from pre-existence to beginnings. The story of creation, he moves us from the not created to the created. Only God does not have a beginning. All of us, all of creation does. And it says in verse verse 3 that through him, all things that were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. The first act where God reveals himself is in the act of creation. The Father created, but he did it through his agent, Jesus. Jesus is the agent of creation. Do you know that there's about 100 billion stars in the average galaxy? Did you know that? And do you know that scientists tell us that there's probably 100 million galaxies that we know about in known space right now? That means that there are 10 octillion stars. No, I did not invent that number. It's real. That is 10 with 27 zeros behind it. That is how many stars that we sort of know exist in the universe. And John comes along and says, do you want to know who did that? Oh, yeah, right. Uh, He's my best friend. His name is what? Jesus. John, are you saying that the guy that we read about in the Gospels, the guy who was born, who had parents, the guy who grew up, the guy whose dad was a carpenter, the same guy that healed and taught us to love each other and cast out demons, the guy who was murdered you know, outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and then you say he was raised from the dead, like Jesus from Nazareth created all of reality? Yes. Back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And since Jesus was with him in the beginning, and they are equals, he also is creator. Like all great sequels, we now see the picture in full. God the Father, through Jesus, created all things. God's creative capacity is expressed through the Word. Jesus was responsible for creation. Nothing is outside of his creative act. The universe, my friends, is not eternal. But God is. The universe is not random, but God has interfered and He has created an amazing universe because He is artistic and He is loving. This is God's world, not ours. And God, by the way, did not create us because He was lonely. Can I say that again? God within Himself is community. He wasn't crying by Himself saying, Oh, I'm so lonely. No. God created everything for his glory and also because he loves to express his love. In a healthy context, and I mean that sincerely, in a marriage where a husband and wife come together and they're intimate with each other sexually, it is one of the greatest acts, of course, that scripture talks about in mutual submission and sharing and love, but also when we choose to have children, that is done through that act. And the reason why we should have children, again, in a healthy way, is not only because we want to procreate, but because we want to express love to a next generation. Where do you think that instinct comes from? God. John doesn't stop there. He writes in verse 4, In him, that's Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of people. Jesus being God, being love itself, is actually living life and living light. And it's meant for us. Life now and life forevermore. Let me tell you, as we go through the book of John, whether you've read it a thousand times or never, there are two grand promises in the book of John about life. Jesus promises us a life in this life that is full and abundant. It doesn't mean you won't be sick. It doesn't mean you won't struggle with depression. It doesn't mean that you won't go through terrible things. But he does promise that you will have life and life in the full. You will have purpose. You will never be alone. You will be forgiven. You will be given community. And you will begin to see what is coming. We have purpose as Christians, even in drudgery, because Jesus has given us life in the now. And he also promises us eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in Jesus, the word, will not die but will have everlasting life. If you want to know what Jesus' mission statement is, here it is. He has come to give life to a death-filled world. Jesus is light and Jesus is life. This is so powerful. So clear, so magnificent, so personal, so transcendent, but then we are tragically, tragically thrown into sin. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. It's interesting, you know, understood has two meanings, and John picks this on purpose. If you're a note taker, write these two down. Understood means grasp or overcome. Let me break this down because it's key to understand this. First of all, John says that Jesus, the light of the world, has come into the world, but the darkness has not understood it. We could not grasp it. Not us, not our religion, not our good works, not our nature, not our education, not our technology. We can't get back to God, let alone have a relationship with him, because we sinned and walked away, and there is great opposition naturally in us towards God. That is why it says we cannot understand. Our mind cannot grasp. Why? Because we're dead. Ephesians 2, 1, as for you, you're dead in your transgressions and your sins. Let me try to break it down this way. I was watching a video this week that was helpful, and they used the image of a Christmas tree for humanity. I just had to throw that in there. Is yours up yet? Mine's not. It will be this weekend. Okay. (laughs) Christmas tree. So do you think about a real Christmas tree? Should you walk into a forest and you take an axe, or whatever you take, with your family, and you cut it down? You remove it from its natural habitat. You remove it from life and light. Think about it. You remove it from its roots. You kill it. Sorry, everyone, you're killing. You kill the Christmas tree, and then you drag it to your car. Hopefully, it's a happy moment. I don't know. With your family, you drive it home. That's why we do artificial in our house. Anyway, you drive it home. And then you cover it with beautiful ornaments and lights. But it's dead. See, that's the picture of humanity. It smells nice for a while. It looks okay. You try to sustain it with some water, and we cover it with unbelievable ornaments, but it's dead. That is the symbol or the great idea of humanity. We are dead spiritually, covered in all sorts of beautiful things, trying to mask our real reality. We've been cut off from light and life, and we're actually really pretty on the outside, and we're dead on the inside. We cannot understand Jesus because we are not just sick, we're dead. But there's another meaning, a double entendre, I love this. John also says that the light has not been overcome by the darkness. You see, as Jesus enters the world, this is a hostile act. Christmas is nothing but a divine invasion into the hostile world called the demonic. And the demonic hate Jesus so much because they want to own us. What does it say in Scripture? It says in 2 Corinthians, for the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers so they cannot, they cannot understand Jesus or his gospel. And so the light comes in, and no matter how much they try, they cannot overcome the light. Why? Because Jesus is living light and living life. And even at Jesus' murder the demonic just don't win we can't understand it and they can't overcome him but he comes anyway suddenly john moves us into history itself and he talks about a different john not the john who writes this but his cousin john the baptist He's the dividing line between the Old and New Testament, and believe it or not, he is called the greatest of all the prophets, more important than Moses or Samuel or Daniel or Ezekiel. Why? Because he has actually seen the one they all wished they had seen. It says in verse 6, there came a man who was from God, and his name was John. He came to witness, to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world. John, notice, is a witness. He's subordinate. He has a beginning. And his life and his calling and his destiny was drawing attention to one person, Jesus. Just can I stop for a moment? Don't you think that's the job description of every Christian in this room? John the Baptist is our patron saint, if you want to say it that way. Because John comes and says, I've got nothing for you, but my cousin over there, wow, watch out, he baptizes with fire. My whole life is about him. I need to point you back to him. Don't ever, no, no, right over there. Keep looking over there. That's what John comes, and he's not neutral about this. I love this. He is called a witness. It is like he is in a court case. He is in that witness stand, and the person, the lawyer says, what do you think of Jesus? He says, let me tell you. I will tell you, my cousin, he is the light of the world. He's the son of God. He's the lamb of God who takes the way, the sin of the world. I know him. I will serve him. My life is about him point 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 back to jesus jesus is called the true light you notice that which means absolute It actually says that there is no other light, in other words. The implication is no other light really reveals. They don't bring light. They don't bring relationship or faith. This is an exclusive declaration about the uniqueness of Jesus. That is why Jesus later would boldly declare, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one, no one, no one gets to the Father except through me. Why? Because I'm the Word and I'm close to Him. Muhammad can't do this, Buddha can't do this, no Hindu deity can do this for you, your new age spirituality can't do this for you, your good works can't do this for you, Jesus is the only way to heaven because he is in heaven, because he is God come for us, period. This is the heart of why John brings this home, saying he is the true light. Light brings real illumination, there's nothing unreal or shadowy about him, light cannot be overcome by darkness. Think about it in your home. Even a small light, when you light it, will penetrate darkness. It will reveal corners. It will reveal what is. In World War II, at the height of the bombing raids in London, if you know the story, there was mandatory blackouts because uh, bombers, if they could see light, could be either led to their target or just bring destruction. And so whole cities like London were completely blacked out on purpose for protection. I read this week that historians uh, talked to pilots who said that if you would light, hear this everyone, a match, not a candle, not a a flashlight, not a light in your home, if you would light a match in a home near a window in a full blackout in a clear night, you could see it 20 miles up in the air. That's the power of light, and Jesus is like a match on steroids, who's come into our world and is revealing things in a way that we have only begun to understand. He comes and he comes into this world. You know, when we read the word world in the book of John, we think about the ball called the world that we live on. But that's not what it means. It's mentioned 78 times in the book of John. And when you see John use the word world, it actually means the hostile, rebellious environment where God is not welcome. It's not a positive term, it's negative. So when you read things like, for God shall love the world, suddenly the power and the profundity of his love gets stronger and stronger because he's choosing to come into a place that he's not welcome, into a place that's not actually for him. The world is not endorsed saying, we're okay. No, no, Jesus comes into this. And he doesn't just do a 24-hour drive-by or some fleeting visit. He comes to live. See, the Christmas act, the Advent conspiracy, as so brilliantly said in that video, is a declaration of God's character and love. When we were not faithful, he was. And when we left the love of God and his relationship, he comes back anyway. John 10, uh, 1.10. He was in the world. And through the world, though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. The world, which the word came to, was his own creation. But we didn't know him, not because he was a stranger, but because we had become estranged from him. The world, we all should have known him, and this is more than intellectual knowledge. This is an epic breakdown. There is a failure to know God intimately, to know, to believe, to love, to have friendship, to be in right relationship. This is chosen darkness. Let me give you another illustration. If you go home today, you can turn on your lights, and there will be light. There is energy flowing right now. There is electricity in your home at this moment, though you're not there right now. Available. And when you walk home, if you flip on the light, there will be light. But this is what John is saying, that the world has chosen, though the light and life and energy is pulsing all around them. We have said unanimously, I and we will not say yes to you. We will not turn the light on. The world did not recognize him. But even more painful, he came to those which were his own. But they did not receive him. One thing I'm cherishing these days in my life is my children. <laughs> and I love when my children greet me. I know this won't always happen. I was a youth pastor a long time. But I love that when I come in to my home, they they receive me. You know what I'm talking about? They, they run at you. And they say, Daddy, we're just so glad you're home. And they, they hug me. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And, and they kiss me and then they want things. That will, imp- you know, that will grow. <laughs> That's going to grow when they're 13, I know. But they receive me. And I was thinking about this. When Emma or Hannah, Well, Noah just speaks in tongues and looks at me. I don't, he, I don't know. He's, he smiles at me. But, but they receive me. And there's nothing more powerful. You know what I'm talking about, whether you have kids or not. There's nothing more powerful when you come into a place where you have a friend or or, or a family member and there's no tension and weirdness and all that garbage and you walk and you're so glad you're here. That's what receiving really is. And Jesus comes to his own people, the Jewish nation, those who had the Old Testament, those who had the prophecies, those who had been waiting for him, they're still today praying for his return at the Wailing Wall right now, and they missed him, because they didn't receive him either. Religious leaders of his day said, no, you are not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Most did not believe, most still do not believe, but some, not all. Jew and non-Jew, welcome him home. Here, one of the greatest promises over your life if you're a Christian here this morning or online, yet to all who receive him, To those who believe in his name, he gives the right, he gives the ability, he gives the power to become a child of God. Children not born of natural descent or human human decision or husband's will, but born of God. God gives the right, God gives the ability, God gives the authority, God gives the capacity for us to walk with him again. Yes, we are all children of God in the sense we're all created by God. Every human, all seven point what billion of us are, but We are not all fully children of God. Be offended this morning, but hear the truth. Only those that believe, only those that trust, only those who rely and have connection with the living word, those people are the true children of God. Because of them? No, because of Him. If you say you believe in Jesus Christ, you're saying, I know him, I've met him, I trust him, I place my complete confidence in him. Everything I know about this life, whatever happens at my death and after my death, depends on Jesus. That's what it means to believe as a Christian. John now brings us into history again for a moment. He brings us to Christmas. He has one of the shortest versions of it, and it reads like this. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. The Word did not just appear human. He was human, fully God, fully human. The Word was sitting in Mary's arms, and he really was a human being. Jesus, who is eternally God, is also now a human And I love that word dwelling. Do you see that word dwelling? Jesus came, it says in Greek, and pitched his tent among us. That word dwelling comes from the Old Testament when Moses used to walk with the people of God and he set up a holy tent called the tabernacle which meant dwelling and Moses would walk in and he would talk to God as a friend speaks to a friend mouth to mouth and there was a proximity and now what John is saying what you saw in the tabernacle and even in the temple is now null and void. Why? Because Jesus has made his dwelling among us and the glory of the cloud and the glory of the Father and the glory of the fire is in and around and through Jesus if you want to meet the living God mouth to mouth, in proximity, face to face, look and call upon Jesus and you will know the God that Moses used to speak to alone. He has pitched his tent and the glory of God is now found in him. That is why we included this in this video and and we talked about it and we're going to talk about it. What is one of the best names of Jesus at Christmas? Emmanuel, what? God with us. And Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. Jesus comes and he's full of mercy and love and he's radically forgiving and he shows up and he gives us things we don't deserve and he hangs out with us when we never think he should and he is profoundly close. He becomes a brother and a friend, but also he is Lord and Master. He is truth. You know, the problem with truth is truth, right? The problem with truth is it never lies. So many people want Jesus as grace, but they don't want him as truth. Because the truth is about Jesus, is that when he shows up, even as you've walked with him for a while, he will refuse to lie to you about where you're at. He'll always tell you the truth. This passage that weaves in and out of Christmas and in and out of eternity makes so many things clear about who Jesus was before, during, and even after the manger and right now. Whether you've heard this for the first time or for the thousandth time, Jesus' humanity is clear. His pre-existence is clear. His incarnation, his sacrifice. Jesus is God with skin on. He is God stepping into the context of you, of us, so we can really know who God is what he's about, what he's not. Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus Christ is the creator. Jesus Christ is the source of life. Jesus reveals the Father. You know, let me just say this before I end. So many people in our world cry out, and I know because we've had these conversations, who's God, and where is he, and what does he think about natural disasters, and what about evil in the world, and is he he yin and yang, sort of good and bad, or is he distant and doesn't care, like Who is God? And we cry out as Christians, look at Jesus and you'll know everything. That's why he came, so we could have the clearest picture of who God is. Jesus, if you want to know who God is, just keep reading the story of Jesus and you'll know God. For Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Jesus is coming is the grand answer to the question: does he care? Is he involved? Is he loving? What is he going to do? If you're a person here today or online, and you are not a Christian, or like I say, sometimes you have the title Christian, but you know you're not a real follower, there's nothing hidden from you today. There's no fine print, there's no part two. Jesus is God. Jesus is the only true light. Jesus is the only one that darkness cannot overcome, and he's the only one who can overcome your darkness. Jesus is the light of the world, God coming for us when we couldn't get to him. And the reason why Jesus came was to die so we could have life. St. Augustine, hundreds of years ago, wrote this. Listen closely. The maker of man became a man, that he, the ruler of the stars, might might be nourished at a breast. That he, the bread of life, might be hungry. That he, the foundation, might thirst. That he, the light, might sleep. That he, the way, might be wearied by the journey. That he, the truth, might be accused by false witness. That he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge. That he, justice, might be condemned by unjust people. That he, discipline, might be scourged with whips. That he, the foundation, might be suspended in a cross. That courage might be weakened. That security might wound, be wounded. That life might die. But that's not where the story ends, because Jesus raises from the dead and offers us forgiveness, complete cleansing from whatever we've done against God, ourselves, or others in our past. That is unimaginable mercy, and it's only possible because the Word who was with God and is God came into our world. I ask you this morning, as someone who does not know him yet, will you believe Will you receive? Will you recognize? Will you let him dwell? Will you let him pitch a tent in your heart? Do you want hope? Do you not want to be alone anymore? Do you want forgiveness? Do you want both guilt and shame to be overcome? Do you want to be a child of God in the full sense? Well, then will you confess him? Will you say yes today that he is the son of God and God in flesh? Do you want eternal life? Do you want light in your life? Then confess him as savior and lord and in this beginning of a christmas season surrender to the baby that grew up and died and rose for the sins of all of us or maybe i'll put it this way for you do you want a new beginning in the beginning god created in the beginning was the word at this moment let me declare to you this can be your new beginning Because if he created the universe and if he's come into this life, he can walk into your life and say, I am going to recreate you into the way you should have been. And all that has been done against you and you have done against me will be wiped clean. This will be your new beginning. To all who receive him, that is those who welcome him home like a little kid, to those who believe in his name, to those that say yes to everything he claims and everything he's done, He gives the ability, the right, to become a child of God. If you're a Christian here this moment, take a second, start praying. Sincerely, with urgency, for people who are not here yet. If you are a person that has never embraced, believed, and you're saying, this is the moment where I want a new beginning, here or online, you could be on a train, plane, automobile, wherever you are, Pray this with me. And those who are Christians, we've all been in this place and we know the battle for our soul at this moment. Just pray this prayer. Jesus, I welcome you home. I receive you. Like really receive you. I believe that you are who you claim to be. A creator and savior. And I I need you in me. I believe in who you are and I believe that you are God and I believe you're not just some guy and that you died for me and that you're risen and you want to know me. I need a new beginning now. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for living my life without you. I ask you right now to be deeply grace-filled towards me. Forgive me. Have mercy. But I want your truth. I want you to come and be Lord and King. I want this not just to be a fading moment, real transformation. I believe that you are the word and I want you to come and bring life and light into me. I ask this for the first time in Jesus' name, who actually now I know. And everyone said, if you prayed that this morning uh, and you're here, there's pastors afterwards, please, you, you need to come talk to us. Because what you've just begun is a huge journey. And if you're online and you're not here, Twitter us, Facebook us, email us, do something because we want to connect with you. Now, everyone, stop wrestling. I'm not done. Sorry. I need to talk to Christians. Two things. Do some of you need to change your view of Jesus this morning? Have some of you started to believe in false teaching? That Jesus maybe isn't the only way, or maybe he's sort of God, but not really, or maybe he's not really the creator. Have you begun to reduce Jesus to what you're comfortable with, or what will actually be okay with your family or friends? Repent. That's sin. When we believe bad theology, it's sin because it's actually violating who Jesus is, and we're setting up another Jesus who's an idol because it's not the Jesus of Scripture. We have to take Jesus fully, wholly, exclusively as he is claimed to be because at that moment, then our walk with him gets stronger. Jesus does not come to beat us up, but he does come to say, you must take me for who I am. You may not reduce me because it's getting more difficult to talk about me. This is actually when you need to embrace me more, not less. There's an old word called heresy, everyone. False teaching. And heresy always starts in the house of God with Jesus. You must have a clear, biblical, non-apologetic view of who Jesus was, not because you like it or don't like it, but because of who he is and what he's claimed. If he is the one we're in relationship with, we do not have the right to tamper with who he is to make ourselves feel comfortable. Jesus is God. Jesus is equal with the Father. He is light and life, and He is the only way, and He is most magnified, powerful, beautiful, awesome. He is the Holy One that we will face forever. He is not just our buddy. He's the King of all. Make sure that our theology, our worldview of Jesus is connected. And here's the last thing, and the team can come up as we get ready to respond. Our view of Jesus has a direct effect on our worship our trust, and our obedience. you got to hear this this morning, please, from a fellow journeyer. Do you really think Jesus is who he is? Then we have to trust him. We have to trust our kids to the creator of the universe, and our jobs, and our health, and our money, and our retirement, and our sexuality, and everything that we value. Like I've preached so many times in this church, so many of us love Jesus, but don't trust him. But if he is the word exalted, if he is the creator of all things, then we need to get to the place where we start saying, I am willing to trust you because of who you really are. There's no darkness in you. You're not a thug. You're God. And so here's the question this morning, and it's an honest, and this is a sacred moment. Is there any person you've not given over to the Lord because you think you can do better? Is there any sin you have not had an explicit conversation about with the Word of God? I talk to people so many times, and they they say, oh, I'm struggling with this. I say, have you confessed it? Yes. But it's this broad, general, unexplicit conversation with Jesus. Jesus knows. Get on with it. Is there any situation in your past you have not given back to Christ? because it's too painful, or you just don't want to go there. Is there any person that you so are embittered by and hate, you don't want Jesus to talk to you about that person, because you think you can do better with that than him? The grander your vision of the risen Christ, the grander your worship and obedience will be, and your trust will grow. Jesus has come to give our church one thing, life. How is it expressed? Freedom. 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 But freedom comes only when we have a magnificent, magnificent understanding of who he is. So we are willing to trust him with everything. The heartbeat of what we are wrestling with as this church for revival is directly connected to our limited or grander view of Jesus and how much we're willing to trust him. My cry for you as my friends is this. We must go before Jesus, acknowledge who He is, and say, I will trust you with everything. And if you've never done this, I'm saying go home with your iPad this afternoon or a notebook and literally write out every place, every person, every space. You do not want to have a conversation with the Word and say, I'm now ready to have it. And watch Him show up and watch your freedom go up and watch your worship explode. Our worship is limited, our obedience is wor- our obedience is limited, and our trust is limited on our view of Christ, how small or big He is. So I declare as one of your pastors this morning: Jesus is magnificent, He is all consuming, He is living fire, He is the Son of God, and He is worthy of our worship and our obedience and our trust. Because he's the only one that can handle the things we cannot handle. Amen? So, let's take a moment and then we'll respond. Jesus, thank you for who you are, what you are, what you're doing, what you've done, what you're going to do. We explicitly proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. We explicitly declare that he is God in flesh. And we explicitly ask that the light of God would come into this church more and more. And the darkness would be overcome and also the darkness would be set back. And Lord, now as we respond in communion, a very appropriate place, we pray that you'd bless these elements, this bread and this juice that symbolizes your death and resurrection. And we pray you'd come and meet your people at this moment in any way you must. Lord, Take a moment. we take a moment to ask forgiveness of our sins. But we, we are so thankful that you, you came into this world and pitched your tent so you could die, so we could have life. And we join with the global church right now, millions of people who have just taken or are about to take communion, and we say, thank you, Jesus. And We do this now in Jesus' name. Amen. If everyone could stand as, as elders and others are going to come serve us. I want to remind all of you again that you are welcome to communion if you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian yet, please don't take this because you do not know the one it symbolizes. But if you want to become a Christian, great place to do it. But I also want to say this morning, too, that at these critical moments, we give above and beyond. You see these boxes here? And this is where as a community beyond our regular giving, we give generously to the poor and the widow and the orphan among us so we can keep helping people physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So I'm asking you again, with a deep generosity, to come worship Jesus at his table, to be reminded of forgiveness, to declare who he is, and to give generously this morning so we can keep showing people the love of Jesus. Do you agree? Okay, then come forward and let's prepare to encounter him. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to know more about C4, get connected to the life of the church, or give to the ministry, visit our website at www.c4church.com.